I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. At a time when there's increasing commentary on where the mobility industry is headed, we bring to you a one-on-one interaction with bike-sharing platform Bounce. Founded in 2014 by Vivekananda, Anilji and Varunagni, Bounce has a mission to provide consumers with a cost-effective micromobility solution for first and last mile travel. The startup's patented keyless technology allows its users to pick up and drop bikes, bicycles, or electric bikes anywhere in the city at any time. The e-scooter rental company counts amongst its investors, Facebook co-founder Eduardo Savarin's B Capital Group, Axel Partners, and so on. This interview was conducted pre-corona. Yes, this is how the world will be defined by in the times to come. With corona having an unprecedented impact on supply chains, travel, hospitality, and perhaps every sector, the bike-sharing platform Bounce and EV startup Arthur Energy announced strategic partnership. Under Bounce's peer-to-peer program, users can buy Arthur's e-scooter for 51 Bounce's platform and can list it for rent as well. In this interview, know more about the genesis of Bounce, its expansion plans, and so on. You know, my first question to you really is that, you know, there's a entire concept of shared mobility is not necessarily new in this country, right? We've also seen other players. So what really is it unique or different about Bounce in that sense? I also want to begin with this context that, you know, often capital itself can be differentiator. And the big thing that is working in your favor is your cap table. You have someone like Eduardo Saverin, who is a big investor known globally for his works at Facebook, who's on, who's on the board of your company. I want to understand that, you know, when you have other players also, how do you establish modes to the defensible models of competitive advantage? We have a scooter which is which is proven product market fit. People have been buying scooters. India has more than 150 million two-wheelers running on the roads. So what we have done is we have, we have allowed people to book a scooter leave it anywhere. So we have made sure that people don't have to own scooter. They can use it only for the time and distance they use it. So we are the only company which, which does dockless scooter sharing in India. Uh, apart from capital being the differentiator, uh, the, the circle works like uh, this where our product was a differentiator because of which capital is a differentiator. So the solution that we have put out on the ground uh, is very unique. So we do close to about 3 million rides in Bangalore. Uh, so we are the world's largest shared um, uh, mobility uh, city in the world. Bangalore is world's largest shared mobility in the world, which means which, which shows the kind of transactions we do. We do close to about 120,000 transactions a day in Bangalore. No, I understand. But you know, how can just a form factor only be the differentiator? For instance, the entire shared mobility space, so people are already used to the idea of shared mobility, yeah. right? So are you trying to become like the Ola for scooters, the Uber for scooters? How is to position yourself then? Not, not really. We, we are not positioning as the Ola for scooters or Uber for scooters as such. We want to be a mobility company which can actually solve uh, real problems. As in, when I say real problems, uh, India is a country with 1.3 billion population. Uh, 
just uh, 18% of uh, Indians have access to personal mobility, which means the rest depend on public transport or other modes of commute, which are very broken. The caps don't solve for 95% of the population, which means that 95% of the population depends on uh, broken modes of commute. That's where we come in. And uh, today there is no other company which is doing on two wheelers. And the form factor, exactly what it brings to the table is the cost at which it can operate. Interesting that you mentioned the word bicycle because China really saw a yeah. huge sort of, yeah. you know, influx yeah. of bicycle transportation yeah. there. And it's interesting that I mentioned China there because a lot of these models, which also began in China, for instance, in Ofo or Amobic, and also these entire companies called Ding Ding and Blue Kogo, I was sort of just, you know, talking to you know, a few investors. But the fact is that you know, when you speak with, about China, there's been a huge massacre about this model, right? There are large swaths of places filled with these bikes, right? And nobody's even looking at them. Yeah. So so many of these companies fail and they all began with the same model that you have. So what is it to say that you'll be successful or you'll be successful in India? Yeah, multiple lines uh, because we have been talking to the same investors who uh, are invested there not invested there in cycle companies, right? So what differentiates our model as compared to Ofo and Mobikes as such is the first is the use case. The use case of a scooter is long distance, so it's not essentially a last mile, first mile kind of solution. In China, what used to happen was the public transport was very seamless. So, Ofo and Mobix used to solve for a small uh, commute, which was the last mile in the first mile. Uh, also, the bicycle form factor that they chose uh, wasn't uh, available in China in that numbers, which means that they had to build everything uh, uh, by themselves. For instance, the... They also had scooters, they also had bike rent not really, not really. So, China banned uh, two-wheelers in 2005. So, scooters never took off. They but used the to be the largest consumers of two-wheelers, but after the ban, it was only cycles for them. So basically, so why did the bicycle model not work then? Multiple reasons, right? So the use case is very different. Here, our average ride distance in tier 2, tier 3 towns are 80 kilometers, which means that people are doing intercity on scooters. Uh, you can't expect that to happen on a cycle, right? Scooters are used by everyone in India. Uh, Office-going folks, student, uh, someone who is uh, dropping their kid to school, all kinds of use cases. Uh, more than uh, buying two-wheelers and deploying them. You should have a super engine to run this uh, solution day in, day out. How do you feel it? At what cost do you feel it? How do you make sure that the vehicle there is functional? Do uh, multiple things, which means that the cost of operation of our solution is much tougher, um, uh, while the use cases are very... No, I understand that proposition, but you know, when you speak with investors, when they talk about speak about investing in shared mobility, one of them actually told me that Srija, perhaps you know the USP is not necessarily the product of the service, but it is the data. The data that you guys are sitting on, which can be used for a more targeted advertising, but even that also did not really work, you know, in some of these models. So so what is your sort of sense there? See, going back on cycle, uh, so how, how do you say whether a model worked or not, right? So there are only two things. In China, what used to happen was all cycle companies used to use equity money to fund cycles, okay? And once you buy uh, an uh, asset using equity capital, it should pay for the equity that you have spent and it should also uh, give you a return, right? So biggest challenge there was the life of the cycle was less than seven months. Why? Because the cycles were, they started manufacturing cycles, as in they subcontracted, they started manufacturing cycles. Cycles are very fragile, right? You can just pick up a cycle and throw it. The vandalism on cycles were much higher. There's some 10 cycles in front of your shop. So it was an obstacle. What you used to do, you can't do it, you can't leave it anywhere. You should, you should pick it up and throw it in the river. Mm-hmm. Because nobody is bothered about the river, right? So you used to throw in the river. So life of the asset. At what cost do you maintain the vehicle are two important elements and what is the revenue that you got out of cycle. In China, what happened was most of them were doing, uh, if you talk to any Chinese investor, three things that you have to check. Uh, what was the life of the cycle? Uh, what was the revenue from cycle? And what was the cost of maintaining cycle? 
what happens when you deploy a new form factor in a market is that you have to build repairs and maintenance team for that. In India, there are millions of mechanics who are living their life servicing vehicles, which means that we don't have to build that repairs and maintenance team. We can leverage the existing network. In China, they had to build. So if you look at OFO and Mobike's uh, repairs and maintenance limit, the labor cost was super expensive. Great that you got Sequoia and Axel on board, but you also have, you know, someone like Nedward who's salvering, sort of you know, putting in check. Tell me a little about that experience. How did that really come about? How was the experience meeting? What were the questions that were asked? And how did that fundraising really sort of come about? Talking to Eduardo was that he understands India really well. So uh, while most of the VCs in India used to ask us, why can't someone buy two-wheeler on their own? Eduardo, uh, during the first three minutes, uh, summarized my pitch to them, uh, he said, um, he, I, I still remember something very impactful that he said. He said, uh, while pe- uh, while most of the Indians don't have health insurance, don't have access to uh, education, uh, to multiple things, there's no point spending on mobility on upfront vehicle if they can save money on mobility, which they end up spending more of their from their overall uh, salary that they take uh, take home. If they can save that portion and spend on health education, it can change livelihoods. So that was the understanding that I wrote had. Uh, which is very impactful, yeah. So what really, do you have a high burn rate? Give me a sense and semblance of your revenues there. So we do uh, about 10.7 rupees a kilometer in revenues. Hyderabad is profitable for us now. So Hyderabad, it's been four months uh, since we launched. Uh, we make almost a rupee per kilometer there, uh, which, which probably no mobility company breaks even so quickly. So uh, we've, we've started making money and now it's all about replicating whatever we've done in Hyderabad and other cities. But what we have to understand is, see, we're still a very small company, as in, in terms of the impact that we have on Indian mobility uh, scene, though we have been the fastest growing and we have done a lot, though we do about 3 million transactions in Bangalore alone, we are still very tiny compared to India, right? India, Bangalore alone has 7 million two-wheelers running on the so road. So what really is your burn then? I mean, so you are profitable in Hyderabad already? Yes. yes. I can't talk about the burn, but yeah, uh, we burn uh, uh, quite a bit of money, but it's come down drastically over the last 6 months. Uh, we started focusing on profitability, that's where... Uh, we moved Hyderabad to profitable. Uh, Bangalore is few rupees away from profitability. Uh, so probably in, in <laughs> quarter's time, we should hit even Bangalore as profitable. 20,000 scooters plus that we have in Bangalore, we're very tiny compared to the private scooters which are in Bangalore. Bangalore has 7 million two-wheelers. We are at 20,000. doesn't make sense, right? So India, we're talking about how can our platform have millions of scooters? So that's where a lot of capability building comes into picture. That's where the investment is. You also mentioned about the word data. It's interesting that you mentioned this. So how are you using data? When it's a data science mining that you're doing in terms of, you know, making sure when the bike has to be at which location. Yeah. But in terms, are you also opening that data to support a set of advertisers or credit rating agencies or things like that? So see, what, what happens with mobility is that the frequency of transaction on the app is very high. Yeah. Uh, so everybody likes frequency, right? So with frequency, we can build a lot of understanding of the user. Uh, so with frequency comes in for payment companies, we are the best uh, sort of companies because we can drive in frequency for them. We can do low-cost onboarding for any payment company, be it any of the payment companies that you're talking about. Second, uh, everyone wants to uh, uh, lend money now, right? So for lending money, uh, the data that you have is very minimal outside the world. So how do you get repayment data? So we have pay later, which gives you a lot of data in terms of what is the various monetization things that we do. One is uh, we uh, uh, the dumb way of monetization is we just brand our scooters, co-brand our scooters with something else, which is like a moving billboard. We recover a substantial set of our EMI cost for the vehicle from the branding that we do on the scooter. We do sampling inside the trunk because the frequency of uh, usage is so high. Uh, we work with FMCG companies who can uh, drop a sample in the trunk and users can use it. We have matched the sampling with survey. 
So um, let's say uh, now uh, everyone is worried, worried about coronavirus, right? Everyone yeah. wants hand sanitizers to everything. So any hand sanitizer company can put a sample in the trunk. People can use the sanitizer and they can also... Two key challenges in your proposition would really be like it's a huge capex game, right? At least I don't have to keep funding this the scooters. Yes. It's an asset-heavy yes. model yes. at the end of the day, which means that you have to keep yes. raising money. And how do you scale faster and that to nationwide and see that another pet doesn't really come in? It's a distributed ownership model that we've gone after, right? So uh, what, what we essentially do is, because we have to fund scooters, we can't be funding a million scooters in the next one year, which is a billion dollar debt kind of thing. So what we've done is a distributed ownership model where we partner with mom and pop stores. That is one of the ways that we are trying to go off balance sheet. As in 250,000 mom and pop stores, funding four scooters each is a million scooter on the platform. So that is one distributed way of ownership that we are bringing in. Uh, we, we have started working on peer-to-peer -peer where you can rent your two-wheeler when you're not using it. So another... 150 million plus two wheelers, plus 20, 25 million plus two wheelers sold year on year. Even getting a 1% of that to be rented out is a big win. So we we tried doing a lot of uh, distributed ownership models, uh, which which makes the uh, asset go up. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising a Pro. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.